Masechet Ketubot Daf Mem Gimel. We've been speaking about whether uh, uh, the fine uh, that is due to a father uh, for on account of his daughter, if his daughter is raped or seduced, the father receives the fine and other payments. Um, if the father dies, uh, does that go get inherited by his sons, and the sons get to collect the fine? Or not, that fines do not get inherited, and this fine in particular doesn't get inherited, um, and, uh, uh, and if not, then it goes to the daughter, the daughter collects the payment herself. Okay, that was the um, topic above. It's going to come up in the following conversation, but we actually start with a new, que- a new and related question. Now the question is regarding a daughter who uh, receives sustenance from the brothers. So the basic halacha is while the father is alive, uh, the father is responsible for sustaining his daughters, his kids. Actually, that is a subject of, uh, of some discussion, but let's uh, assume that. Um, you know, until what age exactly. Uh, so a father is going to be responsible for providing for his daughter. Now, if the daughter goes ahead and makes money uh, or finds something, then, uh, then that, those wages go to the father. The father is in charge. He's responsible. He can marry his daughter off. He can sell his daughter as a slave. So therefore, he is uh, in charge and therefore um, he receives the wages. That's talking about the father. Now, if the father dies, um, the now who's going to sustain this girl? She's not married. Uh, so she would be sustained by the inheritance, which is inherited by the brothers, right? Unless she says, no, I don't want to, uh, the inheritance would, would be required. This is part of the Ketubah agreement. Uh, it says that the husband, uh, when he gets married, he agrees that he's going to take care of his daughters uh, um, uh, uh, while they're single. Okay. So uh, since he, the, uh, the inheritance has an obligation, assuming that it, they are, in fact, paying for the sustenance of their sister, now the question is, what if she also has a job and she's receiving wages? Who do the wages go to? If the father were alive, uh, then, the, fa- then uh, the father gets the wages. So do we say that the brothers who inherit the father's estate are in the place of the father and they have to feed their sister? And so similarly, just like the father gets the wages, so too the brothers would receive the wages, which is kind of fair. I mean, it might be a little more, it might be a little less, but that makes sense. Or maybe it's not the same as the father. In the case of the father, she is sustained from the father's own personal property. And therefore, if he's giving the her food, so he gets to receive the wages back. Whereas in this case, the she's not sustained from the brother's personal property but rather from the estate of the father. So therefore, why should the brothers get anything? They're just paying out from the estate what the father had agreed to in the Ketubah that his estate should pay after his death. Uh, And so therefore, the brothers are not in the same place as the father. That is all the question of Rav Sheshat. And uh, the basic outline that we're going to see is Rav Sheshat is going to say, argue that in fact it does go to the brothers, so wages do go to the brothers. 
Then we're going to see the opinion of Rav Yosef and Rav who say, no, it goes to her. Um, and each one will bring their proof. So Amar Le Rav Sheshat says, Tenituha, we have the answer in a, the Mishnah in Kitubot later on in the Masechet. That says, Amana nizonet yetomim This is talking about now in Almana. After the death of the husband, who's going to take care of the widow? After all, his, his inheritance goes to the sons, not to his wife. So um, the widow is sustained by the inheritance. Okay, so if you have a widow who's, who's sustained by the inheritance of the orphans, of the, it, it's not necessarily their mother. It could be their mother. It could be their stepmother. Um, and in that case, if that amana is also working and has earnings, then the earnings go to the sons who inherit. So therefore, it should be the same thing here, that just like the inheritance pays for the almana's sustenance, and in turn, the inheritors receive the wages, so too, the inheritance pays for the sister, their sister, and they would receive the wages. That's Rav Sheshat's answer. Now, we have a question of Sheshat. How could you compare an almana to, uh, to the daughter, the widow to a daughter? Maybe the husband, the deceased husband, uh, slash father, is, has a different attitude towards his wife than towards his daughter. For his wife, who's now a widow, uh, he does not want her to be, uh, to get, uh, to live in luxury. As he doesn't need that. He'd rather the money go to the sons, right? He wants to, the, the wife to live sufficiently. And therefore, he says, okay, we'll provide for you. But if you're making any, anything extra, that should go towards uh, the, back to the inheritance, right? He just wants to make sure his wife was taken care of, but not right? not with luxury. Whereas his daughter, he wants her to have lots of luxury, live berevach. So therefore, the daughter should get sustained by the inheritance. And if she's entrepreneurial and she makes some extra money, she should keep it. Why? Uh, he, well, he loves his daughter. He wants to pamper his daughter. But more than that, his daughter will be more marriageable if she has more money, bigger dowry. That, uh, so this is a big, big benefit to make sure that the daughter will get married. He's not necessarily so interested in making sure that his wife is uh, more wealthy so that she'll go ahead and remarry. I mean, she can remarry if she wants, but he doesn't need to, need to make sure that she's... Um, that she's more mar- marriageable. His daughter is a different story. So therefore, the Gemara says, Adam, we don't agree with you, Rav Sheshat. Okay, so now we challenge, the, to, we can challenge the Gemara's own question. Gemara will challenge herself. According to what we just said, you, this question, you're assuming that one wants to treat his daughter better than he would his wife uh, when he dies. Ha amar aba amar but we have in the name of Rabbi Abba, the name of Rabbi Yoseh, who says that we're going to make an analogy. An almana is to a daughter, as a daughter is to brothers when there are limited funds. So let's explain that. If the inheritance is very limited and only can sustain one person, and now uh, so the, the father dies, he has sons and a daughter. Uh, so the inheritance goes to the sons. But there's an obligation in the Ketubah that the inheritance has to sustain the daughter, right? The sons own it, but they
they have to, a stipulation that they have to make sure their sister is fed. If there's limited funds and only they can only feed one person, who will it be? The answer is it goes to the daughter. So the brothers have to give the entirety of the inheritance to the daughter to feed her, and they will have to go out and beg. Uh, because it's better, uh, we you know, if, if someone has to beg, better that the boys have to go beg than the girl. Okay, now that's one halacha. Um, however, let's say they're, again, a very small inheritance that can only sustain one person, and the inheritance has to feed both a man's daughter and his wife, the, the almana, the widow, um, and there's only enough for one. Um, he, and uh, there's an obligation to, to do both. So who will it go to? And uh, the answer is that's going to go to the almana. Um, uh, so you see here that an almana is treated better than a daughter. So how come you just said over here, you assume that a daughter is treated better than a, than a wife, a man who wants his daughter to to have uh, sustenance and keep her salary so she'll live in luxury, but his wife, not so. Whereas regarding in this case, if there's minimal uh, inheritance, only enough for one person, then the widow should get it and not the daughter. So it means the widow is treated better. So which one is it? Mahabat esel achin. So Rabbi Abba as will explain uh, uh, this this statement. Mahabat nizonit v'achinish alu ala petachim. Af amana esel habat. Amana nizonit v'abatish al ala petachim. He's explaining his own statement, which is all part of the question upon the question. So the reason for uh, the the um, uh, preference in the Rabbi Abba statement is that uh, just like a daughter regarding brother regarding uh, the, uh, the, her brothers, uh, it's the daughter that should get receive and the brothers can go and beg. Better for them to beg than the daughter to have to go beg. So too, when it comes to a widow regarding uh, uh, compared to the daughter, uh, the widow should get fed and the bati she'el ala petachim and let the daughter go and, and beg, right? If you're going to compare the two, who's, uh, we don't want anybody to beg, but if we have, someone has to beg, better that the daughter, she's young, she'll be able to go. Almana is older, you know, think of uh, Naomi and Ruth, right? Ruth goes out and she goes and finds and begs and collects the uh, wheat. Uh, Naomi stays home, she's old. So comparatively, we're going to um, uh, prefer the almana. So, okay, all this is a question on the assumption of that question, and we answer it. When it comes to degradation, degradation of having to go beg, so a man's going to want, would prefer that that his wife not have to go beg. And the daughter, she'll go beg. The younger is, is better in that case. However, but if we're talking about luxury, right, so if, if it gets, if just you know, getting to the level of above the poverty line, you want to make sure the wife gets there first before the daughter. But once that's met, the ec- anything extra, living comfortably, living in luxury, then, then the, the man wants his daughter to live in luxury, be more marriageable, and his wife, it's sufficient that he, she stay on the normal sustenance level. Um, okay, so we resolved the uh, question to the question. We leave this question unanswered, the one against Rav Sheshat, but nevertheless Rav Sheshat doesn't, doesn't seem he changes his opinion, and he thinks that the brothers do inherit. Okay, so Rav Yosef is going to challenge uh, Rav Sheshat. Mativ Rav Yosef, what do you mean that the brothers receive the inheritance 
um, you're comparing it to an almana, where also the brothers, uh, the, uh, uh, the wages, where the brothers receive the wages, so too, the sis, in the case of the sister, when she's making money, the brothers receive the wages. That's what Rav Sheshat says. Rav Yosef said, I don't think so. Look at our Mishnah. We're talking about the Mishnah that we, um, in this very pedic, here it is, so we could remind ourselves, on the previous staff, it said, the very end of the Mishnah, it says, any time uh, the, uh, a daughter um, has gets wages or finds something, um, even though she didn't collect it yet, in other words, she did a few days of work, she didn't get her paycheck yet, uh, and uh, and uh, 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 she didn't get a paycheck yet. Um, so normally the father would get it, but metav if the father died before the paycheck was paid, then it goes to the brothers. So you see here uh, that in fact this in this case it does go to the brothers. So let's see what the question is. So if the father was alive when she worked then it would go to the father and if the father dies then it goes to the uh, to his sons yes but the only reason in this case that the sons inherit the wages is because she did the work while the father was alive since she did the work so now it's just something that the employer owes to the father so now the that owing will go to the sons but if the uh, daughter works after the father had died, then she should receive it, right? That's the inference from the Mishnah. And therefore, in general cases, uh, she should keep her own work, her own wages. So, okay, and now, um, so this pretty, seems to be a good challenge uh, against against Rav, uh, against Rav Sheshat. Now, my lab this challenge only, only works if she is also being sustained by the inheritance. The inheritance sustaining her, giving her food, and therefore in return she should get the wages. And that therefore um, it's uh, a good proof that no, in this case, we said anything that she does, just she works after the father dies, even though she is getting sustained, she receives the wages. It's hers. So this is Rav Yosef's proof that she, in fact, keeps the wages. All right. Now, this proof is not, not foolproof. Uh, because uh, Rav Shashat could say that this Mishnah, lo maybe he's talking about a case where she does not get sustained by the inheritance. Let's say the inheritance, there is no inheritance, it's too small, and there's nothing for her, or she refuses, I don't want the inheritance, I'm going to be on my own. Um, so maybe the only reason she keeps her wages is because she's not getting an inheritance. And even Rav Shashat would agree in that case, but if she is getting inheritance, then she does have to hand over her wages to the brother. Okay. So, therefore, there's no proof from here. But we're going to ask about that. If she's not receiving any, if, if, if she's not receiving sustenance, then why do you even need to tell us the, this law that she keeps her wages? Obviously, she does. What do you want to say? That she doesn't receive sustenance and she has to give the wages to her brother? That never happens. Um, actually, there is one case where that could happen, and that would be regarding Evid Kanani. For an Evid Kanani, generally, an Evid means that uh, the, the, uh, the slave works and the master is supposed to. 
feed and clothe and shelter the slave. Now, that's even though it's usually where it works, which makes sense because you want to take care of the slave. It's an investment, so they'll work more. Um, but regarding an Evid Kana'ani, there's a machloket about that. There is one opinion that says, uh, regarding Evid Kana'ani, technically, you could say, I'm not feeding you. Go find your own food, and you have to work for me. Um, in other words, your, your work is mine, um, and I don't sustain you. So, yes, that is tr- true according to one opinion regarding Evid Kana'ani. Because there it doesn't say uh, your slave who's with you, as it says in Eved Ivri. So, but in Eved Ivri, where it says with you, with you means that even though he's a slave, he has also has to live with you. He has to eat and drink the same food and drink that you do. Uh, the same type of uh, bedding that you use, the slave has to use. You have to treat a slave as an equal, even though they're an equal, so even though they're a slave. So, Evadivri, um, you cannot tell Evadivri, hey, you have to work and I don't have to sustain you. Um, so, so even though, the, even, even according to the opinion that Evadivri, maybe you could do that, certainly Evadivri not, Koshiken Bito, and all the more so, this would be true regarding a person's daughter, that the brothers cannot come and say, we're not going to sustain you and we want to receive your wages. That's impossible. And so, therefore, the Mishnah can't be talking about a case where she doesn't receive sustenance and she can keep her wages. Obviously, if she doesn't get sustenance, she can keep her wages. So we're thus left with the question, if, it's to, if, the, if our Mishnah is talking about a case where she does not get sustenance, then why would you even need to tell me that she keeps her wages? So we do have an answer. The Mishnah is actually focusing on the surplus. If a girl makes more than she needs for a sustenance, she makes extra, a surplus. Who gets that surplus? So here's the basic law. If the father is alive and the father says, listen, I'm not feeding my daughter. Okay, it's very hard to force the father to feed his daughter. The Gemara talks about how they would come and they would shame him and say he doesn't feed his daughter. Okay, but if he, if he insists, I'm not feeding my daughter, then he does not get her wages. But that's only true for the base wages. If she has surplus, then the father does get it. That's the father's right, right? He Normally, he would pay her, way, he would pay her sustenance and he would get her wages and he would get her surplus um, because he's, he's responsible and he owns everything. Um, now, that's true for the father. The father would get the surplus even if he's not sustaining her. He just doesn't get the base wages. Now, how is that true for the brothers? And this Mishnah is coming to tell us, no. In the case of brothers who refuse, who or who, whatever reason, don't sustain their, their sister, in that case, they for sure don't get the base wages. Even the father wouldn't get the base wages. In that case, they also do not get the surplus. The brothers never get the surplus of the of their sister. That goes to her. That's what the Mishnah was uh, coming to teach us uh, about the extra. So therefore, actually, we could explain that the Mishnah is talking about a case of uh, of where she does not she she does not get sustained. 
Um, and therefore, it's not a challenge to Rav Sheshat. So we answered Rav, Yosef, Rav Yosef's question. You'd think this would be a good thing, but it's not. Rav says, a great man like Rav Yosef, doesn't he know this interpretation that you just said, that the Mishnah could be talking about a case where she refuses her, uh, she does not get sustenance. And that, that's why she receives her, she keeps her wages. That maybe that's the only reason. Um, and the chidush here is that she keeps her, she keeps the extra wages, even though the father would get those, the surplus wages. Now, Rav Yosef doesn't know this interpretation. Obviously he does. And yet he's still asks, using this Mishnah to add to challenge Rav Yosef. Challenge Rav Yosef would say that the brothers get the, in a case where the brothers do sustain her, that the brothers get the base wages. Whereas, according to this Mishnah, the brothers, the the um, according to according to this Mishnah, we're talking about a case where the brothers don't sustain her. So, doesn't Rav Yosef know that? But he's still asking the question, and so it must be that Rav Yosef uh, has a better explanation of this challenge. So what is the better explanation? As follows, Actually, Rav Yosef, you were misunderstanding him. He was asking a question from the very language within this Mishnah, not the inference you were making, but rather, look at the words of the Mishnah. Our Mishnah brings two cases, her wages and something she finds. Um, and the Mishnah said, look at the language original language of the Mishnah, even though she didn't collect it yet, um, nevertheless, if she was owed it and the father dies, then it goes to the brothers. Now, this language makes sense for wages, where you could say she worked, and therefore the employer had to pay the, was supposed to pay the wages, but he didn't get around to paying her, um, and the father died. So normally the father would get those wages, and since she already worked and it was going to the father, so the brothers get it. That all makes sense for wages. It doesn't make sense for something you find, because something you find, you're walking in the street and you find a watch, and so you keep it. Um, there's no time lag uh, regarding finding things. So, uh, therefore, that's the question that, that Rav Yosef had. Who's she collecting the, the lost item from? She's not waiting for someone to deliver, to pay for something, some item, right? It's just something that she found. So, rather, the Mishnah must read as follows. So rather Mishnah, actually, you have to understand it this way, just like wages are like something that's found. Just like wages, if the father is alive, her wages go to the father. After the father dies, she keeps it. So too, um, sorry, that's something she found, right? After, uh, if she found it while the father's alive, it goes to the father. If she found it after the father, uh, the father died, she keeps it. Same thing with wages. Uh, when the father's alive, it goes to the father. After the father dies, she keeps her wages. It's hers. So you see, our Mishnah, Rav Yosef says, uh, explains that she keeps her wages even if uh, she is being sustained by the brothers, she still gets to keep her wages. That was Rav Yosef's question. 
and we don't have an answer. Rav Sheshat does not bring an answer here. Okay, so now we know two opinions. Rav Sheshat says that uh, the uh, when the father dies and the brothers inherit, the brothers have to sustain the sister, and the sister has to give her wages to the brothers. That's Rav Sheshat. Rav Yosef says no; she gets to keep her own wages. Okay. Um, now we're going to see yet another opinion that agrees with Rav Yosef, an earlier opinion of Rav. Itmar Name Amar of Yehuda Amar Rav, but Hanizonet Minachin Maseadeha Leatzma. Rav said that a daughter who is sustained by her brothers, nevertheless, if she works, she keeps her money. She doesn't have to hand it over to her brothers. And the reason is because um, it says regarding slaves that a person who owns slaves can, Canaanite slaves, he can give them over as an inheritance to the sons. That means that teaches limiting. The sons can inherit slaves, but they cannot inherit daughters. Okay, Even though, right, the daughter works and the in the in the time uh when the father's alive and all her wages go to the father that's the similarity between someone's daughters and their slaves nevertheless once he dies then then the, you see their difference that the sons inherit the slaves but not the daughters and so, so no one owns the daughters anyway to begin with but specifically we're talking about the rights that the father has over his daughter are not given inheritance to the brothers so the father has a right to his daughter's wages but the son does not have a right to his daughter's wages that is rav's proof that the daughter gets to keep her own wages Challenge. When it says that the this this derasha, that the sons do not inherit rights of the rights of the of daughters, maybe that means oh, it's only talking about specific rights of someone who is uh, seduced um, and other fines and be, uh, uh, um, and things be, or rape or because of injury. Um, uh, that she suffered and the payment is deserving her. Uh, she deserves payment in all these cases in rape, in um, seduction, in injury. The father receives those payments. And that's what it's talking about when the Pasuk says they don't go to inheritance, that the child, the sons do not inherit the right to receive those wages. Maybe it's only talking about that, but it's not saying anything about that. Maybe it's only talking about these three things, that the sons do not inherit the right to collect these fines. Um, but regarding wages, Pasuk is not saying anything about that. Maybe the sons do, in fact, inherit the right to collect the wages of the sister. And we have another source um, from Rav Chanina that says the very same thing, that uh, this derasha is limited only to these two fines and uh, damages that are not given over to the sons, but wages would be given over to the sons. And so therefore, this is a challenge to Rav's derasha. Okay, now we, we brought the challenge, a side question regarding one of the items, chavalot, regarding injury, bodily injury. 
That's physical pain of one's body. In that case, the father doesn't get it. The daughter herself receives that. That's a general rule. If there's something that's regarding the uh, uh, physical pain, injury of the daughter, she gets to keep that. Even if she's young, they'll put it in an escrow until she gets older. So why is that on the list at all? Even the father doesn't get it. We're talking about a case where he injured her in her face. Because it's in her face, now that this does affect the father because now it'll be harder for him to marry her off or to sell her and so it affects the father financially and therefore the father does get uh, some as some part of that payment oh, so that's what we're talking about and that's something that would not be inherited to the sons okay now even though we brought this challenge nevertheless Rav sticks with his original opinion and we repeat it okay both of these statements are said in the name of Matana in the name of Rav Rav who was who, the one we just quoted that says she receives the payment the difference between these two versions that one is says Rav Zera and the one says Rabbi Zera these are referring to the same person a third generation uh, um, uh, Amora who lived in Israel but uh, in the beginning of his career was in Bavel so in Bavel people go by Rav in Israel they have every official Samicha so it's Rabbi so if he said it earlier in his career when he was in Bavel then he would be called Av. When he was in Yisrael, be to be. So we have two different versions because we're not sure if he said it in Bavel or he said it in Yisrael. Either way, he said in the name of Rav, the same Dadasha. So he doubles down and he said that this, uh, 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 that even though a daughter is receiving sustenance from her brothers, she gets to keep her wages because the Pasuk says that the sons can inherit slaves, uh, but they cannot inherit the rights of daughters. And one of the rights of, of daughters is the father gets the daughter's wages that does not get inherited to the sons the sons do not get the wages okay good so now we know Rav's opinion and his proof so now we're going to just conclude the final opinions uh, and the halacha amale abimi bar shakud amara so he says that the, the the shakud the diligent one said this. this is a nickname for shemuel shakud manu who is that that's talking about Shemuel. Hold on. Harav Amara. Wait, but you just said that Rav said it. Why are you saying now Shemuel said it? Uh, what I meant to say is that the Shakud, Shemuel, also said this ruling. Okay, so both of them uh, both of them said it. All right, that's good, good solid proof for that, that the she gets to keep the wages. However, the sages in the city of the Hardea, they say the laws like Rav Sheshat, that the brothers receive the wages. However, we don't follow the Hardea, rather the Halakha follows Rav, the final halacha is like Rav that the daughter gets to get sustained by the inheritance, and if she if she works, she receives her own, she gets to keep her own wages. All right, that's the conclusion of the discussion of that Mishnah.
Next Mishnah discusses the right of a father to collect the ketubah for, of his daughter, uh, should his daughter become widowed or divorced. If someone has, a man has a minor daughter, and he gives her away, and kiddushin, they only do kiddushin. And in the end, they don't never get married because he divorces her. And then they he he does kiddushin for his daughter to a second man. She's still a minor, and he dies. Um, in those cases, the father gets the ketubah. The reason is because she was never married. When someone gets married, when a woman gets married, then she goes into the jurisdiction authority of her husband and leaves the jurisdiction of her father. But here, ne- neither marriage was ever completed. There was never nisuin. So since she remained the whole time. In her father's uh, jurisdiction, the father collects both of the ketubot. On the other hand, if he married her off, and then fully married, and then she was divorced, and then he married her again, and married her off again, and she was widowed, then she keeps the ketubah. Now, you don't even need all these cases, even if it's just one of them. Once he marries her off, then that's it. Uh, uh, whether she is divorced or he dies, she receives the ketubah. Because she was married, she leaves her father's jurisdiction. Um, okay, so why does it matter to say divorced? Uh, it could also be the same if she was divorced twice or she was widowed twice. It would all be the same law. Come on, I will discuss how it uses this case in particular. So that's Tanakama. Rabbi Yehuda disagrees regarding the, this, uh, the, the, the second case. And he thinks that the first one the father should get. Gamadah will explain because the first one, in the first case, the ketubah was written before the marriage. And therefore, before the marriage, the, um, the father was still uh, the authority. And so therefore, even though the ketubah is not paid until the marriage ends, which is way after, could be any time after, nevertheless, the responsibility for the ketubah, the right to collect it, belongs to the father because at the time when they signed the ketubah, she was a minor and not yet married. So that's true regarding the first, the first one. Then she gets married. Once she gets married, even if she gets divorced afterwards, the second one is already post a marriage, so she's no longer under her father's authority, and therefore she would receive the amount of the second ketubah, even according to the Biudah. Okay, that's Biudah's opinion. The rabbis say, And so the rabbis say, No, no, you don't go by the time of the writing of it when and say that he deserves to collect it, because uh, he has the right to collect it when she, uh, from the time of the writing. But ra- instead, once she gets married, that's it. Now she owns the ketubah, and she owns the right to collect it. And so um, when the marriage ends, she receives it, and the father has no authority over her. Okay, good. Nice machloket. Now, let's analyze. How come the second case here says one, the first time he she was divorced and then married again and then uh, and then he died. Well, so that would mean that if um, if she had uh, had two husbands die and she was widowed twice, 
then uh, why, don't, why don't you talk about that case? Oh, because then he, she would not be able to marry again. Um, so this, incidentally, it's not really the main point uh, of the Mishnah. And you could have mentioned such, such a case when she got widowed twice. But... Uh, we don't want to talk about such a negative case and talk about a uh, killer woman, right? That's the law. If a woman has a re- repeated pattern that all her husbands die, then she can't get married again. Now, how many husbands have to die to make that kind of chazakah? Some say three people, but a biodanasi says two. So the, the, the Mishnah, even though it's not its main purpose, it wants to teach us a roundabout law and say, listen, we're going to talk about a case of uh, divorce and um, death, because if we talk about two cases of two people dying, then that would that would make her a killer woman, and we don't want to, we don't want to talk about killer woman here. And so uh, this teaches that that uh, in fact the Mishnah, the Stam Mishnah, is like Rabbi who says after only two times you have to chazaka, and she, she, she even after those two she would not be able to get married to a third. All right. So now that we know, now we know why it mentioned this particular case, even though the same would be true that she receives her ketubah even if she was widowed twice. Now the Biuda says in this case she receives the amount of the first. Um, the, the the father receives the amount of the first uh, one. My What's the reason of the Biuda? After all, she was married nisua, and then she's divorced. So if she's married. She's not under the authority of the father. Why should the father collect her first ketubah, the ketubah from her first marriage? And so they both uh, explain that uh, the Biudah's reasoning is since from the time of the Kiddushin, that's when the obligation for the ketubah kicks in, right? Automatically, uh, actually, even if you don't write a ketubah, he automatically is obligated to the base level of the Ketubah, 100 or 200 zoos. And so from that moment already, the father owns the right to the Ketubah. Now, it's not paid at that point, but he has the right to the payment. So even though uh, the payment only happens after the Nisuin, he already owned the right from before, and he was the authority at the time, the Kiddushin, and that's why he gets the first one, but not the second one, because that's that. in that case, the Kiddushin was after she was already married. All right, Mativ Rava. Rava says, hold on, this is, can't be, for, because look at this Braita. That quotes the Biuda himself. The Biuda Omer, Harishonash Shel Av, Umoder Biuda, Bemeareset Pitoke Shiketana, Ubagra, Vachar Kachniset, Sheen Lavia Reshut Bah. The Biuda agrees that in the case where the, the my daughter is engaged as a minor, right, and then she grows up and she's married as an adult, that, and he agrees that in that case the father doesn't get anything. Why not? Why don't you make the same lot take the same logic and say, since at the time of Edusin, that's the time when the obligation for the Ketubah uh, uh, starts, and the Edusin was when she was a minor. So the father should should retain the right to get to have the Ketubah paid. And so, what does it matter if she was married? as a when she was an adult so this is a problem for the reasoning you just said rather we're going to just change their words a little to make it make sense 
No, no, we're not talking about Kiddushin. This doesn't, the obligation for the Ketubah uh, does not start at the time of Kiddushin, but rather at the time of the writing of the Ketubah. When was the Ketubah written? It was written right before the Nisuin. And so they would do Kiddushin. Now, even though at the time of Kiddushin, there's implicit obligation for a Ketubah, um, nevertheless, the main thing is when it's actually written, and since it was written right before the right before the marriage, and at that time she was a an adult, so therefore the father no longer has the right to it as an adult. So this can explain the difference between the baraita and uh, the mishnah. Um, okay, good. So now we have a good answer. Now, question about this this distinction here. From when can it be collected? Whenever you have a loan document that's written, a written document, um, from the from the date that it's written, one has a has a lien on the property. Um, so that um, if I if I borrow money from you, so you have a lien on my property from that date. And so even if I would sell the the land afterwards, you can go to the person I sold it to and say, hey, I had a lien on that property. Now, the date makes a big difference because if I had sold the property before the loan, well, then you can't go after it. But if I sold the property after the loan, then you do have a lien on it and you can go after it. So now our question is, um, now that you said that there are uh, two dates to consider, the date of the Kiddushin and the date of the writing, which one, from which one a date does the lien start? Um, okay, so that's the question. says the base amount of the uh, ketubah, meaning the 100 for almana or 200 for a betula, that's going to kick in the lien from the time of Kiddushin um, because either they wrote a, a, a marriage contract at the time of Kiddushin or if they didn't write it, still it's assumed because the rabbis require it in all cases, but they would only require the base level. So the base level, is uh, the lien starts earlier. But then when he comes to actually write it down, he says, oh, I want to add also another 100 zoos uh, to the to the to, to, to the um, uh, ketubah amount, well, that will only happen from the time of the writing, which is right before the nisuin. So that's Ravuna, and that makes sense. Ravaseh says, no, even the base amount, 100, 200, the lien does not start except except from the nisuin. And either way, if you wrote a ketubah beforehand, but now you write a second one, and the second one you add more money, that's basically nullifying the first. Or in a way, you could say that the wife is going to forego. The wife is the one that... Is is able to collect the, the to, to collect it, and she can go after the land that was um, has a lien on it. So the wife, by now signing it, now accepting it at the the wife doesn't sign the ketubah, but by accepting it at uh, at the time of kiddushin, at the time of nisuin, she is in effect kind of foregoing her right to the lien beforehand. This is actually a very important halakha because even nowadays, if one writes a ketubah with a date later, like if you write it at night, and and um, the marriage actually happens earlier in the daytime before sunset, it's still valid because we would just say that the wife is foregoing on her right to collect from the leaned property. Uh, if it was, if you went and sold property in the meantime or bought property in the meantime, um uh but you know but during uh, at sunset
Um, okay, so uh, therefore, Rav Aseh says um, that even though, yeah, at the time of Kiddushin, there could be a written Ketubah or could be an implicit one, nevertheless, the once you write the, write the, Kiddush, write the Ketubah at the time of Nisuin, then all the all the entire lien uh, is established at that point on the base amount and on the uh, um, uh, and on the additional amount. Okay, so that uh, so now question on Rav Huna that makes a distinction. Hold on, we have a case of a woman who has two ketubas. Apparently, the guy wrote two ketubas. He wrote one at one time. And then later on, he wrote another one and added more money to it. One of them at 200, which would be the base amount for a, for a betula. And the other one says 300. In other words, he added uh, an extra 100. Now, Ravuna says she has both of them. That's true. So, But she can't use both of them, right? Even though he gave her both, yes, she has to pick one. She could pick whichever she wants, whichever will be more beneficial to her. That's totally valid. He gave her two ketubahs. But she has to pick one. She can't pick both. So now, if she wants to pick, use the one that's 200, and that one was written earlier, then she can uh, collect uh, from any land that he owned at that time. So she can have a lien on the, uh, the earlier lien. So that's a benefit because she can go with the earlier lien. But she only is going to collect 200. Uh, on the other hand, she can use the one that's 300, but then she has to only can only collect can collect from land from the time written on the second ketubah, which was later. So that if there's a you know if there was a loan to someone else in the meantime, uh, then that other person would collect from that land before the this uh, the later ketubah is paid. So this is up to her. She has to figure out which is better, is more sure to get 200 because you have a better claim on it, or you can get 300 but less sure that you're going to get anything if he runs out of money and has no more property and it's all given to other people, then she may end up with nothing. Okay, so that is what Rav Yosef, Rav Huna said. Now here's the question. If Rav Huna here said that the base level goes back to the time of Kiddushin and the extra time of Nisuin, then we should apply the same principle here and say that the base level, which is the 200, she should be able to collect from the earlier one and the extra 100 that she added to the second ketubah, she should also be able to collect from the time from the time of the second uh, ketubah. And she should be able to actually get the best of both worlds because we do go by the earlier date for the base amount. So that's the question uh, about Ravuna. And we answer the question with an ad absurdum argument. According to your reasoning here that she should be able to get the best of both worlds, why don't you say she can collect 500 from, uh, from both marriage, let her collect both marriage contracts, the first one for 200 and the second one for 300. Would you say that? No one would say that. Why? 
how come you don't say together get 500? Because he didn't write in the second contract. Uh, if he had, uh, he didn't write, I choose, Asabiti, I choose, and I add to you 300 more above the 200. If he did that, then fine, right? A man can come and say he wants to show maybe on their 10th anniversary, he wants to show how much he loves her and says, listen, I gave you originally a base ketubah, only the minimal amount, but you know, now we've done well. I want to show my love for you. I'm going to give you a second ketubah. And in it, he writes, adding to the original 200, another 300. If he had written that, yeah, then for sure she can come and use both and collect 500. Actually, just the second one includes all the 500. So, but he didn't write that. So, therefore, it's clear that this is what he meant to, this is what he means. Rather, he's giving her a choice and saying, listen, I'm giving you an additional ketubah. But this additional is not adding to the original amount, but rather giving you another choice. Um, I want you to have choices. So if you want to use the first one, that's fine. You get 200. The benefit is you get the lien from that time. But if you want from the if you want to use the second one, that's also okay too. It will replace the first one and you can get 300. But it's only going to start the lien's only going to start from now. It's impossible. I mean, even if he wanted to, he couldn't give her something now with a lien beforehand because the other creditors would come and say, "Hey, you know, we were first. We didn't know about that, right? We did a uh, we did a, a check on the uh, on, on on the land to see uh, the, uh, the deed to see who owns it, what other, what other um, loans uh, there are, what other liens there are on it. Just like today, whenever you buy a house and take a mortgage. Okay, so when he gives her the second 300, he says, you know, I want to give you more, but the lien could only possibly be from the second point. So she's not going to make it any worse for her, so she can use the first one or the second one. That's clearly what it, that's clearly what it means. So you even you agree, uh, everyone would agree. The questioner to Ravuna would certainly agree that you don't get five hundred, but rather it's a one or the other. So therefore, this can explain our the answer to our to our, to your question. Since he didn't say I'm adding another hundred. Uh, to the 200, right? If he wrote that, then also fine. Um, I, uh, then he would be able to uh, collect both from the first, uh, 200 from the first and 100 from the second. That was your question to begin with, right? Because Ravuna said that um, in the case where there's, uh, there's Kiddushin, um, and uh, where this implicit that he's going to give the base amount of 200 and then Nisuin where he says well, 300 altogether then yes in that case he can collect 100 from the time of the uh, Kiddushin and then 200 from the time of Kiddushin and added 100 from the time of Nisuin that is true uh, that, and that's what Rav Huna said um, but here he did not write that word, those words. If he had written, I am adding another 100 here to the 200 to, that I said originally, 
then indeed that would be the same as the case of Rav Una's state, uh, uh, first statement. But he did, that is not the case here. Uh, in the case here, he wrote a second document that just says 300. That's all it says. So it's clear that in the second one, she is foregoing her rights to the first lien from the first contract. And she's saying, listen, by accepting this ketubah, I am willing to take the extra hundred. And uh, even though that means that I'm not going to have a lien on the from from the time of the first document and so yes you can pick one or the other but only one or the other so it makes a big difference in the way that he writes it and uh, therefore the specific language explains the difference between Ravuna's two rulings Baruch Adonai Lodam Amen Amen